0: a reading from the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the 20th chapter, the 19th verse. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, every year on the second Sunday of Easter, the gospel passage appointed is what we just read from the end of John chapter 20. It begins on the evening of Easter Sunday with the disciples gathered together behind a locked door when Jesus comes and stands among them to show he is risen and then lays the groundwork for them to live in the spirit after he's ascended to the Father. However, only 10 of Jesus' 12 disciples were there that first evening. Judas, of course, had taken his own life after betraying Jesus. But Thomas was also missing. So John reports that in the week that follows, the other disciples tell Thomas they've seen the Lord. But Thomas is slow to believe. He famously says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And yet that following Sunday, eight days later, as far as folks in the first century counted days, and seven days later, as we count them, the disciples are gathered together when Jesus appears again. And this time, Thomas is with them. And showing Thomas his hands and his side and saying to him, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas then believes, answering, My Lord and my God. So now all of Jesus' living disciples are on board. However, over the years, Thomas has not fared well in the eyes of many in the church. While the New Testament reveals many times that Thomas's nickname among the disciples was the twin, there are various theories on the mysterious meaning of that, the church has replaced this nickname by dubbing him as Doubting Thomas in a way that is certainly not meant as a compliment. In fact, it's not uncommon for Thomas to be cited by believers to one another as a sort of anti-hero, as an example of how not to be, as as believers exhort one another to, to not be a doubting Thomas. This morning I want to push back a bit on Thomas's bad rap. Now it has been said that Thomas is a realist, and that is probably accurate. We certainly see this back in John chapter 11, which... We looked at a few weeks ago, actually, and I've included in your bulletin. There, Jesus is getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead in Judea, but the disciples are concerned because that is the region, Judea is the region where the Jewish leaders are who want to kill Jesus. It soon becomes clear that Jesus is determined to go there anyway, whatever the risk. So Thomas resignedly responds in verse 16 of that passage. Let us also go, then, that we may die with them. Not seeing any other way this could possibly play out. But I guess I fail to see, looking back at today's passage, I fail to see how Thomas's delay in believing is all that different from the time it took the other disciples to believe after the testimony of Mary Magdalene, also reprinted in the bulletin, You'll recall the disciples did not immediately respond in celebration when, when Mary came to them. Rather they gathered together, as the beginning of today's passage shows. It's only after the Lord appears to them and shows him shows them his scars, and says, Peace be with you, only then do they believe. They go and proclaim with joy to Thomas that they've seen the Lord. And turning back to Thomas, Pastor Scott Jose says that Thomas responds in exactly the way that any of us would have. He suggests if someone came to us three days after a loved one died and, and told us they'd seen him or her alive, not a one of us would say, oh, wonderful, thanks for letting me know. No. We'd say, right, I'll believe that one. What? When I see it. And by the way, are you feeling okay? The notion of a dead man coming back alive really isn't something anyone should be expected to believe easily or quickly. So Jose's defense of Thomas is that he's playing it safe, but also then kind of speculates aloud as to what it might take for him to believe this after all. And as he talks, the rhetoric gets more and more exaggerated. But again, I think this is something that's pretty relatable, right? He's saying, friends, I'd have to see with my own eyes those nail holes to believe what you're telling me. No, you tell you what, I need to not just see them, I need to touch them. I need to touch those holes with my own finger. Better yet, I'd want to stick my whole hand right into the side where that sword pierced Jesus. Yet the following Sunday when Jesus shows up for Thomas and says, peace be with you. Though Jesus demonstrates his omniscience, his knowledge of what Thomas had said by offering his hands and to Thomas in verse 27, there's actually no evidence or no clear indication that Thomas actually follows through and does put his hands in as, as he had said he would require. No. Just seeing Jesus... Is enough for Thomas to believe, just as it had been for the other disciples. Though I suspect folks may read what Jesus says in the rest of this scene as if he's upset with Thomas. At the end of verse 27, after showing Thomas his hands inside, Jesus says to Thomas, Do not disbelieve, but believe. And this is another one of those places when it might have been helpful. If the gospel writer had been able to use an emoji or two, right, to to really give us an impression of how Jesus said that. Because, not having the benefit of hearing Jesus' tone of voice, many have read this as if Jesus is disappointed in Thomas or even rebuking him. But alternatively, I would suggest Jesus is just lovingly encouraging and inviting Thomas to believe as he spiritually does to all of us. And the same goes for verse 29. After Thomas has expressed belief, saying, my Lord and my God, Jesus says to, the, says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, a few things here. First of all, it's noteworthy that Thomas's statement, my Lord and my God, is actually considered to be by most, the first occasion that any human is recorded in Scripture as recognizing that Jesus is God, that Jesus is divine. In other words, even though Je- Jesus has, had demonstrated and hinted on countless occasions that he was not merely a man, but God come in the flesh, right? he calms the storms, he pronounces forgiveness of, of sins, and so on, this is the first occasion that any of the disciples actually seem to recognize and state out loud that Jesus is God. And this is actually pretty significant because it means that even though Jesus asked, have you believed because you've seen me? We know Thomas has believed something about Jesus that cannot be ascertained by sight. Right? Yes, seeing Jesus convinced him that Jesus had risen from the dead but it's impossible to determine just by looking at the risen Lord that he is God, right? This can only be believed in that moment, even by faith. Therefore, instead of reading verse 29 as some sort of slight to Thomas, I'd suggest we should instead understand Jesus to be turning his focus to us, right? After all, he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, at that point, I don't think there's anyone who has seen Jesus and yet believe that he's risen, right? So he's talking about the future. He's talking about future generations who will not have the benefit of visibly seeing the risen Lord as the disciples did, but who will be required to believe in Jesus without getting to witness his phys- his, him physically appearing to. Him. And perhaps a further hint that this is what what Jesus means comes in his use of the word blessed in this verse. I think it can be really tempting to read this, to read this word as if Jesus is saying the word better. I think that's how I read it for many years, right? That Jesus is saying better are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Or at least they're better than Thomas. But is that what the word blessed means? Is that how it should be understood? Not just here, but throughout Scripture. I mean, it appears in quite a few significant passages. right? I would suggest it should be understood to mean something like graced by God or glorified, but glorified by God, Right? If this is the best way to understand blessed, and I believe it is, then this would mean that rather than throwing shade at Thomas, Jesus is instead just acknowledging how hard it will be for later generations to believe without sin, that it will truly require God's blessing, the grace of God. Faith is a gift, after all. And therefore, Jesus is expressing compassion that the demand of believing without seeing is always going to be fraught with challenges. So to summarize, I'm suggesting that perhaps we should read Jesus here as using this occasion with Thomas as an opportunity to empathize with the difficulty of believing without seeing that's going to be necessary for, for all future generations beyond the apostles. And that Jesus is doing that without making Thomas into some great failure. Well, having said all of this, what I'd like to consider with the rest of my time here is in the graciousness of Jesus. the graciousness of Jesus that we see in him being willing to accommodate what Thomas needs, what he needed to be able to believe, Jesus' willingness to accommodate to whatever extent that situation allowed. And I want to think about what that means for us today. The situation at that time, of course, in the case of Thomas, was that Jesus had risen, but he wouldn't be ascending to the Father until 40 days after his resurrection. Therefore, when Thomas articulates his need for more than just the disciples' testimony, Jesus evidently not only heard this, but he seems totally willing to accommodate Thomas as much as the situation allowed by not just appearing to Thomas, but even to the point of being willing to allow Thomas to touch his wounds if Thomas still feels the need to, which again is debatable. I want to suggest this morning that Jesus' willingness to accommodate the difficulty humans have believing in him also extends to today, and to us. That his willingness to assist and aid our faith as much as our situation allows remains just as strong today as it was for Thomas, though the situation has changed. But to that point, you know, many of you have heard me speak before about how early in my own journey, in my late teens, when I'd been agnostic for a few years, I was jostled out of that, you might say, by a dream I had. But despite that dream, I still had intellectual and philosophical hang-ups about how there could really be such a thing as this God who we can't touch and can't see So at the time, I simply began praying for God to grant me faith, essentially to help my unbelief. Well, over a period of time, he was faithful to answer that request. Here I am. But of course, the sort of biblical saving faith that Jesus calls us to is much more than merely a belief that God exists or even a belief that Jesus rose from the dead. As John writes today in the final verse of our passage, the aim of his gospel is that we might, quote, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Meaning that we might, John's goal for us, God's goal for us, is that we might learn to live in a relationship of trust and reliance upon the risen Lord. That's what biblical faith is. Well, for many or most of us here at St. Matthias, have, having already come to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, where we're most likely going to feel the strain of faith is in the cha- that challenge of abiding in the Lord. Again, of not just believing that he rose from the dead, but really trusting in him in a daily way. Trusting in him to care for us and provide for us and believing that during trial and, during trial and tribulation he is right here with us even when we can't feel him. And yet even living now in this era after Jesus' ascension when the, the situation is different than it was in our passage he can't just come show himself to us like he did Thomas. Even so, Jesus has provided other accommodations to our faith in our situation to help us believe. First, he's accommodated his physical absence from us by providing us with his word, the Bible, right? Which includes the testimony of the apostles who were able to physically encounter the risen Lord. But along with that, he's given believers his Holy Spirit to illumine these scriptures, illuminate these scriptures. And guides him to understand. But even in addition to that, as Jesus has acknowledged in verse 29 how difficult it is for us to trust what we cannot see, I would suggest he's also accommodated our need to interact with and know him through our physical senses by providing us with his holy sacraments. And in particular, Holy Communion where he transforms the simple physical elements of bread and wine as a means for communicating his physical presence to us. Indeed, the reformer John Calvin explained why God has made this accommodation to us when he wrote, "...but as our faith is slight and feeble, unless it be propped on all sides and sustained by every means..." It trembles, wavers, totters, and at last gives way. So here our merciful Lord, according to his infinite kindness, so tempers himself to our capacity, to our situation, that since we are creatures who always creep on the ground, cleave to the flesh, and do not think about or even conceive of anything spiritual on our own, he condescends to lead us to himself, even by these earthly elements, to set before us in the flesh a mirror of spiritual blessings. Sacraments. Or, as Calvin biographer T.H.L. Parker explains these words, he says, In the sacraments, God accommodates Himself to our grasp and makes us behold in the very flesh the things of the Spirit. Well, all of this, of course, raises the question the elephant in this fairly empty room. What about right now? In this current situation, pandemic, when we cannot experience all these benefits of receiving the sacrament due to the limitations brought on by the coronavirus, is our faith not more at risk, more unsteady? How are we to respond during this season when we are without these normative means the Lord has provided to empower us, nay, to bless us, to remain in Him. Well, my encouragement will be to turn back to Jesus' response to Thomas. To point you there. Because that interaction revealed again his willingness to aid and assist faith within the parameters of that situation. And I believe we can expect the same of Jesus here and now. We can expect Jesus to be willing and eager to use different and perhaps even unexpected ways to help us to continue abiding and trusting in Him if we are willing to ask and seek this. You know that line in the Lord's Prayer where where Jesus teaches us to ask, give us this day our daily bread. We'll pray it in a few minutes. Well, I often think of that line in conjunction with how Jesus responds to the devil when he's hungry after 40 days in the wilderness. when He says, man shall not live on bread alone. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord, knowing, understanding, agreeing that man shall not live on bread alone. Which is to say that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us not just to pray for him to provide for our physical needs. Rather, he's teaching us to pray to him, to look to him, to seek from him, seek for him to meet all of our needs, emotional, relational, and of course, spiritual. Whatever means he determines that he wants to, right? And spiritually, to seek in particular our need for our faith to be regularly encouraged and strengthened which in normal times, Holy Communion, the sacraments are are one means that God uses. So in times like this, when the Lord knows we cannot safely receive one of these typical means of strengthening our faith, our prayer needs to be, Lord, give us this day our daily spiritual bread. Give us what we need to remain in you. To be reminded that you love us and are with us and to keep us from succumbing to temptation and evil. We can pray that, trusting that if we do ask and seek, if we ask, if we open ourselves to whatever means he want, may want to provide for us in that way, he will do so. He will provide within these parameters of our current situation. He will provide for us. And So be encouraged this morning by St. John's witness of the risen Lord And Jesus' compassion toward Thomas and his accommodation to what Thomas needed. Because we worship the same Lord who is compassionate to the limitations that we mortals find ourselves living. As the body of Christ probably feels out of our reach in many ways right now, Jesus remains ready and eager to reassure our minds and minister his love to our hearts through ways we may not have even thought of. As he taught in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, for if he ask for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Or as Luke says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. In the name of the Father, Son,